Thank you guys for being here today. As we start our new series, 50 Shades of Grace, which I am very, very excited about as well. Man, um, I appreciate you being here. I appreciate you taking your time. I don't ever just like take advantage for the fact that you're here. I always think it's a blessing that you come and you want to listen and, and learn something. Just for your reference, so we're all clear, we're on the same page, today is uh, the beginning of this conversation that we're going to be talking about sex. And I never talk about things in a coarse manner, but I'm going to talk about things in an upfront manner. So just to let you know, our messages today for the next few weeks, they will be, I'd say, PG-13 in content of sorts. So I just give you guys permission, if uh, you had children where you're like, you know what, I don't think that they're ready to hear this. I mean, if they're younger than our, our cutoff for Axe Kids and they're like, you know, 12 and under, man, I would encourage you, take them to Axe Kids. If they've never been there, I think you'll be surprised. They'll come back and they'll have had way more fun than you had. And you'll be like, I'm jealous because our kids' ministry is amazing. Um, or, you know, if you said, you know what, um, my kid's just not ready for this. You guys are a better estimator than I am in that. No shame if you decide, you know what, I'm going to have to get up and, and uh, I, I don't want my child to, child to be in this. If you guys needed to leave and you're like, I'll just have to catch up on podcasts, no shame if you needed to get up and head out as well too. But we are going to talk about this concept because um, it's a very real and present conversation in our society. Not only that, but I would just say to parents, if your ch- child is just coming out of our, our children's ministry, out of our... Um, Ask kids, and they're around the 12-year-old age, I think if you had an honest conversation, you might be surprised what they already know. The reality is, is um, society is, is screaming at our children right now about sex. And uh, I just had a conversation with someone this last week where they were talking about it. They said, I don't know if my kid um, would be. And I said, I completely understand. But I said, if Say perhaps this was the first time they were going to hear this stuff. Wouldn't you rather have their pastor be the first person to say it to them instead of someone on the bus? And they're like, you know, I never thought of it that way. Yeah, you're probably right. That would actually be a great place to start. And then we could have that conversation. So as we talk about this, um, yes, this is the sex talk. Guys, this is the sex talk. I'm sitting you down. (laughs) Sitting you down. You're all old enough now. We're going to have the sex talk. We're going to have the conversations about the birds and the bees. Apparently, the bees are chasing the birds trying to have sex with them. I think that's how that goes. <laughs> I think that's how that went. I never got the talk corrected, so. I read the Spark Notes version. This series is all about sex, and I don't know if you've noticed, but our culture is obsessed with sex at the current moment. Obsessed with it. Man, it is, it is in and throughout everything that we talk about. A very, very clear demonstration of this would be the book that this series is jokingly titled after, Fifty Shades of Grey. This book was written in 2011 by E.L. James, and it has topped the bestsellers list around the world. It sold over 100 million copies, translated into 52 languages, and set records for the fastest-selling paperback of all time in the United Kingdom. Now, why? It's obvious the reason why this book has become as much as it is is simply because of, it, of its erotic nature, because of the fact that it is, is filled with sex and sexuality. Nobody, nobody, if you actually ask them about the book, will say the reason why it's so good and the reason why people want to read it so much is because it's written so well. You can read reviews on people who said it's written like a fifth grader wrote this book. It's not well written. The plot is poor. The concept is really, really narrow. It is a poorly written book. You talk to people who read books, like, from the sense of not just reading it for that, be like, compare it to other books. Like, this is not some sort of literary masterpiece in any sense. 
The writing is mediocre, believe it or not, if, you are, uh, if you've heard about it or talked about it. It started as a fan fiction book for the Twilight series. Okay? So that's just a, the concept of how amazing the, the beginning of this book was, right? It was written as fan fiction for Twilight. And of course, this very weekend it was released in theaters as the movie adaptation of this book. And we'll see what happens with this uh, as, as it continues to go. But it, it's pretty obvious by looking at these sales that our, our culture is obsessed with sex at this time. And anything we can do to read about it, to hear about it. And, and I think it's interesting because I think when I walk through my day, I'm actually shocked by how much sex is just an average, commonplace conversation in everything. I don't know about you guys, but, you know, do you guys ever, like, you get up and, like, you, whatever, jump in your car, you turn on the radio, and, like, every song is about sex. Like, at least, like, 90% of them, right? Like, booty, sex, something, something, you click to the radio. Every one of them is somewhat about sex or sexuality, and one after another another. And a lot of them now, to be honest with you, they're not even love songs. If you're an old-fashioned person, right, they're not even love songs. They're sex songs. That's what they're about. They're not about love. They're about sex. And we see it in our marketing. We sit down to watch TV, and our commercials are very obviously using sex to sell products trying to show people that if you have this, you'll be successful, girls will like you, whatever. It's this, it's this sex drive that they're using. It's common conversation, the TV shows we watch and the movies we sit down to watch. Man, you're like, this, it's so often revolving around who's sleeping with who or what that, what's going on inside of their sex lives. And of course, we hear it in our daily conversations. We see it when we hop online. It's talked about regularly, whether we're watching YouTube videos or we're talking about things online. It's all over the place. And pornography, that's so present in, our online, in the online fashion. It seems like we can't walk through our lives without running into sex in one way or another throughout our week. And the world has, has so much to say about this. The world is, is screaming perspectives on sex on a regular basis. All of those things are, are their idea, their mantra, their teaching about sex being shouted at you day after day after day. And perhaps one of the most common things that it goes back to, and people will say, you know, there's, there's so much sex in, in, our, in our movies. There's so much sex in our, in our songs. There's so much of this. One of the most common things they'll pull back to is just this plain and simple statement. It's just sex. It's just sex. I don't understand why you're so upset about it. I don't understand why you're so confused about it. I don't understand why you're so messed up about this and also worried about this. It's just sex. That's one of the most common messages that's sent out with that. But, but this is where the question comes back. Is it? I know you say that, it's just sex, but, but really, is it? Is it just sex? Or is there more to it than that? Now, I know if you're a person who's sitting in this audience and you're, you're a pre-Christian, you're like, dude, Cameron, just checking this out for the first time. Don't have a relationship with Jesus. I'm just coming to hang out. It's awesome. We're glad you're here, absolutely. You never have to believe all of what we believe to be here and be part of Acts Church, to be part of our groups, be part of everything that we do, even serve here or anything. You do not need to have all that figured out. That's awesome. So as we go into this, you might say, you know, this sounds a little crazy, and you're right, but for people who've taken this step into, into Christianity, where they believe they have this relationship with Jesus, this stuff gets really, really real fast in regards to our lives. So if you're like, oh, I'm not sure, listen to it, because I think probably, even if you don't have a relationship with Jesus right now, when you hear this, some of this is going to sound really, really true. And then take it for what it's worth, and we'll go from there. Is it just sex? Is it? Genesis 1 27 through 28, it starts this conversation where God comes onto the scene. 
And this is what he says. He says, God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. Now, here's the deal. God could have made us multiply in any way he wanted to. He's God, right? He was not bound by some sort of physics. He could have done anything. We could have been like the people where all of a sudden we would just begin to like split down the middle and we would just turn into two people, right? There's things that reproduce that way. All of a sudden you just split and there's two heads and then there's four arms and then there's four legs and you just pop apart one day and they're like, and multiply, done, right? It's completely within his ability. There's other things on this earth that live that way, right? It could have been a different way. There's other animals, even even. Um, Animals like us, you know, warm-blooded animals that mate in different ways. We could be like, you know, fish where you spawn, where they all come together and they basically lay eggs and, and it just mixes together and, and these babies hatch. That could have been the case that he wanted to as well. But he didn't. God invented sex. God invented it. He said, be fruitful and multiply. And he was giving them a command to continue to bring forth new generations. And he was the one who invented the means by which that was going to happen. God decided, amongst all other ways of multiplication, to use sex as the means for multiplication. It wasn't some sort of demonic or dirty creation thought up after the fall. It's not a man-made idea. He wasn't shocked one day walking through the Garden of Eden to find Adam and Eve and be like, oh my goodness, what is going on down there, right? It was a direct command. He literally said it was part of their commands, be fruitful and multiply. God not only invented sex, he told them to do it. Our thoughts on sex being dirty, or especially as the church, as Christians, thinking of sex as something that's off limits, that comes from poor teaching from all the way back around four or 500 AD. It came from people like, uh, there was a, a church father named Tertullian, and there was a church father named um, Ambrose. And both of them really, really believed that sex was this dirty thing, that that was even the original sin. And it was terrible teaching, terrible misinterpretation of the Bible. And it caused something that even still persists in our churches today, in which this conversation is somehow off-limits, yet it's not. God talked about it on a regular basis. It's in his Bible all the time, all the words that he inspired. There is so much content about sex. We see the fact that God is not scared of sex or worried about talking about it or afraid to touch the subject. Not the case. Man, there's this amazing book in the Bible called The Song of Solomon. And what this is, is it is an erotic tale between a husband and a wife. In the Jewish culture, they usually wouldn't let boys read this until they were married. You want to know why? There's some stuff in there. Song of Solomon 7, 7 through 8. You are slender like a palm tree and your breasts are like clusters of fruit. I said I will climb that palm tree and take hold of its fruit. That's the Bible. I didn't make that up. You're like, that's funny. That's in the Bible, inspired words by God. That's fairly graphic. There's some other stuff that's maybe even a little more graphic. I, I, I censored it a little bit. Some of the other things that are said, man, this book talks in depth about the sex life between a husband and wife. And he isn't scared of sex. He's not worried about it. It was his creation. God invented it. But is it just sex? That's the conversation. That's what the world is trying to tell us. It's just sex. Don't get so up in arms about it. It's just sex. But is it? In Genesis, the very first time, God really talks about kind of the beginning of relationships, and he begins to, to spell this out. He uses this, this 
um, anal- or this picture in Genesis 2.24, and it stays throughout Scripture, and we're going to look at it in a few places. This is what he says in Genesis 2.24. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. The picture he uses is that when these, when these two people come together in marriage and when they consummate their marriage in the sex act, that it's not just a physical two becoming one, but he says it's like a real deep spiritual two becoming one. That they become one flesh, connected through and through. Jesus talks about this again in Matthew 19. He's talking to people about the whole marriage situation and, and the sex situation. Here's what he says in Matthew 19, 4 through 6. Haven't you read the scriptures, Jesus replied. They record from the beginning, God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. That's that Genesis 2.24. And he says, since they're no longer two, but they're one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Jesus kind of takes it a step forward and we see it's, it's not just even the fact that maybe this, this just happens. God almost said, like, there's a promise I put on sex. Like, there's a, there's a piece of what I do in sex. Two people might come together, and, and they have sex. But God almost said, like, as weird as this sounds, I'm present there. And when that happens, I have a promise for you that I'll draw you together, not just physically, but spiritually and emotionally, that I'll bind you two together in a special way. You know, what's funny is, this has been the Bible for thousands of years, and science is beginning to unearth that this is true. Thousands and thousands of years later, doing studies on human beings, they're finding the reality that when two people have sex, that there's chemicals that are released in the brain which increase bonding capabilities between the two of them. That it's even hardwired into our bodies, that the designer of sex put some of it in us. And I believe there is probably a a chemical situation with that and also a spiritual side of it as well too, that God is doing. So maybe it's not just sex. This is what gets scary. Maybe God hardwired us and maybe God promised that it's not just about our pleasure, but as we have sex, God designed it to bond two people together for life. That God designed sex. In his word, we see that he made it this point where when they come together, I'm going to draw them together in a closer way than they ever have before. Proverbs 5, 15 through 17 kind of talks about this. Some wisdom that comes on the backside of this. This is what it says. Drink water from your own well. Share your love only with your wife. Why spill the water of your springs in the streets having sex with just anyone? You should reserve it for yourselves. Never share it with strangers. Well, why is this being said? Because he's saying that sex is meant to draw two people together forever. He says when you just have it with anybody, you're missing the point. You're missing the idea of it being drawn together and you're eliminating that possibility of you being able to be drawn together in such a deep way. I wanted to use an analogy because it's really hard to get all this stuff. But, but here's, here's my analogy, and I, I, uh, I hesitate to say this because everyone's going to laugh at it, but it's a great analogy. You're never going to forget it, okay, for the rest of your life. Sex is sticky, okay? You can laugh. It's okay. This isn't it's church, I know, but you can laugh. It's funny. And what he's saying is like, what you do is you take a piece of tape, and if this is us, there's a stickiness that's involved with it that God put into us. And that when we make love to somebody with that, that person that we're going to spend the rest of our life with, that there's this ability just to stick and we no longer fall apart. We stick to that person and we feel very, very connected to them and we're unified for the rest of our life. And what God is saying is that when you just 
you just have sex with strangers, with anybody, what you're doing is you're perpetually sticking and unsticking and sticking and unsticking and sticking and unsticking and sticking and unsticking and sticking and unsticking. And that what happens is the stickiness wears off. It doesn't want to stay anymore. It'll, if I work really hard, I can just about get it to stick. It's kind of sticking, sort of, just about ready to fall off with a breeze, right? <laughs> right? Gone. <laughs> this one doesn't want to move. And what he's saying is there's something I put in you that when I designed the sex thing that it's meant to bring two people together and you stick and you feel unified for the rest of your life that's something I made. But when you just share it with anybody, you're losing that because every time you have to tear yourselves apart, you're losing a little bit of that ability to stick. You know, I've talked to people about this, you know. People would say, well, that, you know, that Cameron, that sounds really mean. I'm not saying it's a mean way. And if, and if your life hasn't been perfect in regards to what you want for sex, there's a reason why this series is called Fifty Shades of Grace. It's because I believe our God gives grace to people who want forgiveness, who want help, who want healing. But I've talked to people who've walked this life, and you know what? They admit to that exact same thing. I had a lot of sexual partners. When I finally even met that person I really wanted to spend my life with, it was hard to stick. Because all these old things come back and all these old thoughts and I'm comparing this to this and these people and, and I've trained myself over so long to just, you know, and go and go. And it's hard to feel that, that connection. If we follow this verse in Genesis 2.24, it continually keeps coming up in Scripture. And each time it kind of clarifies a little more what this whole picture of, of sex is supposed to be, what it all means. So we know God designed sex you know, for two people to stick forever. In 1 Corinthians 6, 15 through 20, it says this, and Paul is talking to the church in Corinth. Church in Corinth had tons of sex problems. Corinth was like a crazy city. Like, you know, the whole what happens in Vegas, right? Like what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth, guys. Same deal, okay? And he would always, man, be sending these words saying, like, let me just try to clarify for you guys. He says in 1 Corinthians 6, 15 through 20, don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Should a man take his body, which is part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Never. And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her? For the scriptures say the two are united into one. That's that Genesis 2.24 again. But the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. What if, what if sex is more than just sex? What if, as this verse kind of alludes to, sex is a means by which we honor God? I liken it to this. What if we realize that God, the designer of sex, he designed it with us in mind, right? God's not a, having sex, okay? He didn't build it for himself. He built it for us. So if he designed this for us, in all reality, he gave it to us like a gift, right? Here's a gift for your enjoyment. I totally believe, and we'll talk about this more in the coming weeks, sex is not just simply for procreation. Of course, it's for enjoyment. It's for pleasure. It's for unity. He gives this to us as a gift, and then what we do with it is the means by which we honor or dishonor God. Liken it to this. Maybe you're young, and you'll take one side of this, and maybe you're a little bit older, and you'll take the other side of this. I think I'm at the older side where now I'm taking it like that. I'm getting old. I know it. It's like parents giving 
a kid a car. He turns 16 years old, and the parents decide to be super generous with this kid, and they buy this kid a car. They give it to him, and they say, this car is yours, gifted to you. It's not mine. It's yours, okay? Now, how that child treats that car, how that child uses that car, is indicative of how much he honors his parents. You'd say it's his, but see, when dad comes home and he sees the fact that there's just garbage thrown all throughout it, it hasn't been washed, it's not taken care of, the dad feels dishonored. I worked really hard for that, I gave that to him, and he's not even taking care of it. He doesn't even appreciate it. The same thing, you know, the kid goes out and he's just beating on his car, he's all dented up, doesn't really care. The dad's feeling like, you're not even honoring me with what I, what I gave you. Now, the opposite is true as well. He gives this kid a car, he comes home, and the kid is, is proud. And he, he takes care of the car. He makes sure he goes and gets oil changed done on it. Man, he, he cleans it, he washes it in details, and the father feels honored. My child really, really appreciates the gift that I gave him. That's what God's saying with sex. It was a gift that was given to us, and how we use it is a means by which we either honor God, where he feels honored by what we do, or dishonored by, you're not even... You're not even taking care of the gift that I gave you. Maybe it's bigger. Maybe it's not just sex. Ephesians 5, 31 through 33 says this, throwing back again to Genesis 2, 24. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two united into one, Genesis 2, 24, again. This is a great mystery, But it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Here's what Paul is saying to the church in Ephesus. He said, you know what's interesting about sex is it's not even just all about those two people. It's not just all about the whole idea of God unifying two people to stick. He said, actually, sex is a picture of how our God loves us, the church. He says, the wife is like us, the church, all of us who are his bride. And he says that we're like the wife, and God is like that, that husband. And that picture of marriage and that relationship, and even that sexual intimacy, it's actually all a means by which we continue to preach how Jesus loves his church. He says that this is an illustration of the relationship that God has with his people. What if it's not just sex? What if God designed sex as another means by which we would tell the world of how good our God is? What if sex wasn't just about us, but the reality is God said, no, your sex life is actually another testimony of how our God works with his people. Doesn't it make sense? Two people, men who come into a relationship, fall in love and promise to only share intimacy with each other. That our God doesn't have, have lustful eyes that's always walking away from us, but that he constantly pursues us. That despite the fact that maybe we're not perfect, he always loves us. Even just in regards to our sexual intimacy, 
Not just the marriage side, but the sexual intimacy. That there's so much detail in regards to this that we're made opposites to fit together as if God had planned this from the very beginning that in our sex lives, as we serve each other, that it's not just all about our own needs and about trying to accomplish just our own sexual gratification, but caring for somebody else. That there's this unity, this deep intimacy of knowing somebody unlike anyone else gets to know that person. And that all of it is this picture of how close God is with us, the intimacy, the closeness. This means that when we look at it and we see, is it just sex? Man, it doesn't, it doesn't really add up because if our sex reflects God, what are we telling people about our God? Let me put it this way, okay? Just to be blunt, we don't serve a hit it and quit it God. We don't. It's a mantra of so many people in the society, right? Hit it and quit it. That's not our God. Our God doesn't start a relationship, have one intimate experience with us, and then all of a sudden just disappear for us to never find him again. That's not our God. That's not how he reacts to us. That's not, that's not how he loves us. So if our sex life is this representation of God, what's the message that we're preaching with it? This makes a lot of sense when we start talking about the fact that people will ask all the time, Cameron, why would God care about my sex life? Why would God be worried about what I do with who? It makes no sense, right? It's just sex. Why would God care? Because the reality is that sex isn't about you. That our sex is yet another means by which we display that relationship between God and people. What if this? This is the reality primary calling of your sex life is to glorify God. The primary calling of sex is to glorify and show the greatness of God. It starts to make more sense in regards to why would God care about my sex life? Well, because it's actually about him. That picture that he made of how we come together to create children, to be able to create intimacy, to create unity, it was actually all just another analogy to draw back to how great our God is and how intimate he is and how loving he is. What if I told you that I'm not preaching this series in order to try to limit your sex life? Not preaching this sex series in order to try to put constraints on it? What if I'm preaching this message to call you to a higher purpose for your sex life than ever before? That God's not asking you to put a bunch of blockades in your sex life, and that's the point. What if God's saying, no, I'm saying that you've been having this view of sex, and I want you to understand this view of sex. A whole other platform of what you believe sex is, of what you believe it means in regards to your life, and what you believe it means in regards to your relationship with your wife or with your husband. Young Christian, young person who's deciding about their future and their sex life, never been married, maybe you've never had sex yet, and you're you're trying to figure this out. What am I going to do? What if it's about more than me just telling you, don't, don't, don't? What if it's about realizing that your sex life is a means by which you honor God? And you don't just not do it because I told you not to do it. You don't do it because you say, you know what, I want to honor God with my body. What if you say, when people start asking and talking about it, what if you say, you know what? I think you guys have a low view of sex. I actually believe it's it's bigger than that. I don't believe it's just, you know, hit it and quit it. I actually believe that God made it so that when we finally find that one person and we have sex with that person, that we're going to be bonded together for life. 
What if it isn't just, I'm the weird Christian that doesn't have sex? What if it's, I have a higher calling on my sex life than you do? I want to do something with my sex life that most people won't do because I believe God's going to reward me in a way that I get to see something that most people won't get to see. For you who maybe is pre-marriage in regards to your, to your sex life, maybe you, you've been sexually active for a long time, what if hearing this isn't just about, oh, I know I should stop doing this or I shouldn't do this or I should do this. What if the reality is you get this entire higher calling for your sex life? Realizing that everything you do with your body is a means by which you preach the gospel to the world around you. No, actually, I, I, don't, I don't sleep with people before marriage. I'm waiting because I believe that that's a picture of how our God, man, he is, he is seeking out and he is looking after us. Man, he's not just some lustful person going from person to person that he's waiting for you. That he wants this deep and intimate one-on-one relationship with you. What if it means for, for married couples... That your sex life isn't just about you and your wife either, you know, trying to have children or just maintaining your, your sexual intimacy. What if it means that all of a sudden a higher calling on our sex life comes to believe that the number one priority in our sex life is, is telling a picture of who Jesus is, of honoring that. All of a sudden our picture can change in our mind, can it? They don't deserve me to have sex with them. We didn't deserve Jesus. They haven't really been serving me lately. How often do we not serve Christ and yet he's still there waiting to take us in intimately? Maybe the reality is a man that it's no longer just about doing something in order to get something from your wife. I need to put in this amount of time so that when the end of the day comes, when the end of the week comes, she's going to be responsive when I try to touch her. What if it comes back to saying, I realize I'm supposed to be a picture of Jesus. And I'm going to serve my wife, whether or not she gives something back to me or not. Because our sex life is actually a means by which I'm supposed to show, man, how Jesus loves his church. I mean, sacrificially. Yeah, without response. I've been doing this for weeks and I've got nothing back from her. No response in intimacy. Christ doesn't give up on us. Are you going to keep pushing and saying, you know what, it doesn't feel like what I want to do, but I know that my sexuality, the intimacy I chase with my wife is a means by which it represents Jesus. I'm saying our entire sex lives can be taken to a higher calling. I believe wholeheartedly God wants all of us to have a great sex life. I really do believe of what he's saying of these things, of what he's laid out. I believe that if, that if we, we walk through them, I believe God is planning for each of us to have a great sex life. I want to ask you this question. Do you think, honestly, that this world has a healthy grasp on sex? I understand what I might be saying. Maybe you're like, I don't know if I can get on board with this, Cameron. But real honestly, just sit for a second in your head. Do you really believe that what the world's saying about sex is healthy right now? Take a look real quick. Probably the most popular movie this weekend. One of the most popular books there is. Fifty Shades of Grey was asked to be read by multiple professionals in the psychological world in 2013. After which, 100% of of these people using the CDC standards for emotional abuse and sexual violence said that every interaction between Christian and Anastasia was abusive. That they found that the show shows a classic tale 
of an abused woman being taken advantage of. A man wielding power and money to get what he wants out of a woman. These are all professionals. They weren't, these aren't Christians trying to take a look at something. They asked professionals in the field, read this, is this healthy? And all of them agreed, this is not healthy in regards to our sex life. This is not healthy. This is the story of a woman who's being abused. Let me just tell you something. I don't know how many you've read or how many you haven't, but I had to read Spark Notes on this to understand so I could grasp with you. Let me tell you something, okay? Love, love is not going to bed crying every night. It is not. I'll tell you that when I read over those notes, I was angered because this is not a healthy picture of what love and sex is. It's not. It's not going to bed crying every night. It's not being misunderstood about who you even are and your identity with the person. Let's do a quick test. Do we believe that the world has a healthy grasp on sex? Right now, you have a 12-year-old daughter. She's trying to determine what she wants out of her life, sexually speaking. This is real life. This is the age that all of this stuff begins, 11, 12 years old. Do you feel comfortable handing her a copy of Fifty Shades of Grey and say, here you go, figure out your sex life? If we realize that the world doesn't have a healthy grasp on sex right now, then we can't just keep listening to their messages because I'm saying I completely agree. It is unhealthy right now. Don't you just, man, for, for me, for Jesus, don't go see that movie. Man, don't go see that movie in support and give your money as a vote to saying make more of this. Don't go see that movie. Let me tell you, right now, there's women's shelters all around. We support a women's shelter over in Princeton. All of the women's shelters are rallying, telling people, don't go see this movie because I'll tell you, the real-life stories don't end as pretty as the book does. The real-life story ends with women who've been abused, who've been raped, who've been murdered. Don't support this stuff. And if we agree that the world doesn't have a healthy grasp on sex, then even if you say right now, Cameron, I don't know about all this Jesus stuff, I don't know about this whole idea that my, my sex life, man, it means more than this, but if you can just, if you actually can say yes, but, but I, I, I do agree with you on this, Cam, the world doesn't have a healthy grasp on sex, then what if we took a step back and we said, why don't we look at what the inventor had to say about it? Why don't we look at what the inventor had to say about this product that we're talking about, about this gift that we're talking about? I like to liken sex to a chainsaw. Amazing tool. Awesome invention. Used improperly, catastrophically deadly. If we got this really awesome chainsaw... The inventor spent time to write a book describing describing how to care for this chainsaw. Describing how to keep it from falling apart and injuring us. Describing what these things are made in place to protect us from this very powerful device. And we can just grasp it and say, you know what, tack with it. I'll, I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out as I go. Or we can say, maybe I should listen to the inventor's ideas. Maybe I should listen to what the guy who designed this had to say about keeping me safe while using it. it was the, I looked at what the guy who designed it said is the, the possibilities for malfunction, the probabilities for getting hurt. 
What if we did the same with sex? Its inventor wrote a book that has many details that if we look into them could align us with what keeps us safe, with what's the best way to use it, that's going to keep it from breaking down and hurting somebody. We agree the world doesn't have a healthy grasp. Well, then let's go back to the inventor and let's take a look. It's just sex. Is it? Is it? I don't think so. You look at the inventor and what he said about it, it's not just sex. There's a whole lot more to it. In the next coming weeks, we're going to take a look at what the inventor has to say about it. And even if right now you're like, I don't know 100% about this, Cameron, if you agree the world doesn't really have a healthy grasp, maybe the inventor has more, come back and listen to it. Come back and listen to it and just open your ears to it and avail yourself to it over these next coming weeks. Let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you, God, that, Lord, you gifted us with this this amazing gift called sex and that you also then, you spoke truth about it so that we can use it in a means by which it does not hurt us or others. Lord, I ask Jesus Christ that you would work in our hearts, that you might change us, Lord God. Lord, that you might maybe break down some of the, man, the, the story that we've been hearing shouted at us by the world for the last 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, God as we open our eyes and our ears to what the inventor had to say about this, this great gift, that we might get clarification and we might get clarity in regards to how we use this. I thank you, Jesus Christ, for this day, and I pray that you bless every person that's here. Lord, let our, let our, our hearts continue to grow in love. Lord, any of us that are in relationships, let our sex life begin to shift today and in the coming weeks. We just thank you for how good you are, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Please come back in the next coming weeks. Really would appreciate you doing it. Stand with me real quick. Let's finish up with this. How are we going to make the world, I mean, how are we going to make Jesus famous in this world, Acts Church? Love God, love everyone. All right. Have a good week.